Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the warehousing crisis with my friend Chuck Coxhead. How's it going, Chuck? Absolutely wonderful, Joe. It's a pleasure to finally get to see you here. I listen to your podcast all the time. Well, I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. I'm always happy to bump into somebody who actually <laughs> listens. But on top of that, I'm also... Uh, I know you guys do quite a bit of podcasting and video casting over there at your company. So introduce yourself and your company where you're at today. Uh, Sure. My name's Chuck. I'm with ProSensus, and we are a value-added reseller. And in short, I create warehouse superheroes. We empower warehouse workers to have improved capability, to improve productivity, and, you know, find new levels for companies to achieve more with that existing staff. And, you know, in today's times with where supply chain has made the news every day and everywhere, I think our, what we do is in greater demand than it's ever been. Oh, absolutely is. And, you know, the, the, we're talking about the, when we were prepping, we talked about this warehousing crisis. And it's interesting. Everything has become e-commerce. Everybody says, hey, this is, uh, you know, warehousing is growing up. There's a lot of, lot of warehousing stuff in the news, which is all fantastic. But it does miss some pieces of it. We talk about the WMS. We talk about wonderful companies like Where to Go, mm-hmm. Flex, Stored, coming in and, and transforming mm-hmm. these and making consolidating the industry. Fantastic mm-hmm. stuff. But it does miss some of the other other challenges that we have in this. So what oh, you yeah. guys do is important. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What kind of kid were you? Oh, wow. So I grew up outside the Philadelphia area in a lovely place called Bucks County, which is an historic place um, that grew out of the Revolutionary War and the birth of the nation. And I was uh, I was a, a crazy kid, always speaking too much, but friends with everybody that I could possibly meet. And from there, after I graduated, I went on to Lehigh University, where Where's I... Where's that at? It's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So just, uh, it's kind of Eastern Pennsylvania. Where I know it's I a good school and I've heard of it. I just, I, I mean, I know the name. I just didn't ever know where it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's in Eastern Pennsylvania, great town called Bethlehem. And, you know, it's part of the Billy Joel song, uh, Living in Allentown. It's right next door when they talk about the steel plants. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is what he was talking about. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. And it better be a good school. My son is there now studying computer science. So oh, hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, so what did you study there? I stu- I'm studied. I studied industrial engineering, which was really something I found a home in doing. I started out as an electrical engineer, and uh, it didn't really work with what is up here in my brain. <laughs> and but industrial engineering is really about process improvement and that sort of thing. And I didn't know it at the time, but it it was a great combination of my technical engineering interests, but also a lot of creativity. In other words, you were able to really help transform businesses and make them better, which is something I just found. It was a great outlet for me through my entire life and my career. So, so, so give us, what was your first gig out of school? Oh, my first gig. The first one I cared about was actually as a product engineer in rotating equipment, industrial pumps for Navy, Navy nuclear submarines. And they brought me on because I had studied at that time, 
the level of automation was very much in its infancy and people were still doing things on paper. You'll notice a theme as we go through this podcast, going from paper to a digital transformation into computer-aided drafting, computer-aided manufacturing, CNC programming. And I helped them to bring that to their company. And that was, uh, that was an amazing experience that I did back in the day, 30 some years ago. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the computer-aided design. I was a, sounds like I'm Ben Franklin. I was a draftsman. My dad owned an engineering business and I was a draftsman. So I used triangles and compasses mm-hmm. and all this, which sounds, sure. kids, you can Google all this stuff. I was a draftsman <laughs> on the board. And, sure. and then I went on the CAD system, which I thought I was, by the way, I got paid so much to do that. We got mm-hmm. paid better than engineers at the time. We always worked time and a half for overtime, 56 yep. hours a week. You're like skilled trades, but you're at a drafting board. And then, but I was going to school at night. And then I became a, a, an engineer. and But I worked on those CAD systems when they were $125,000 a station back in the yeah, indeed. late 80s. They were a big, big deal. They worked them 24-7. So when I first got on the CAD system, I had to get it there at 7.30 at night and work till 7 in the morning. Nice shift. <laughs> Made a lot of money, but... <laughs> That's when they called them mini computers, and they were the about the third the size of your desk. Yeah, yeah. You know those and they big had to workstations. Keep, they had to keep the place cool so they would have mm-hmm. behind them like all these refrigerated areas, and you're there all night long, and it's cold, and you're wearing a sweatshirt or a sweater, and no one's there, and you're like, "Please stay awake." Your whole body screaming sleep. <laughs> yeah, like, give me back my pencil and my square, will you? <laughs> my T square. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I was the same way as you, though. I worked as a product engineer for years. And then one of the challenges I had is my degrees were in business. And then my master's I got was in education. Because I, I remember my boss said, when are you going to finish your mechanical engineering? And I was thinking, I'm not. I'm already doing this <laughs> job, and I'm not so sure I like it. I didn't say that. I said, I love this job. But I decided I wasn't going to get the ME. I don't know if that was a, a math problem or a, a a beer problem, probably a combination <laughs> of both. <laughs> I had that problem. <laughs> anyway, so what was your next gig? Well, from there, it's kind of crazy. God bless my dad. He said, and he didn't even really know why. He said, Chuck, have you ever considered sales? I said, and he guess, I guess he thought because, you know, I was friendly with everyone and I, you know, I was outgoing and, and that sort of thing. And I said, boy, I never really gave that any thought, dad, but you know, I love my dad and I respect him. So I, I went to a health club and started selling health club memberships so I could learn. And don't you know, I ended up going into sales in the rotating equipment business. But I really gravitate to it, not because I was outgoing and friendly with everyone, but because there was a real intellectual curiosity because it, like everything else, is a process. It, like every, there's, there's a best practice for doing things. There are tools that you can implement. As a, as a sales manager, I was the first one to bring my guys laptops. I was the one who fought to get them a cell phone so that I can prove their productivity. You know, And it was always about increasing the value for the customer. I didn't know that until I got right. into it. Right. Maybe dad knew, but you know, that's where yeah, I ended up. Exactly. It's funny. I've talked to a lot of young people who go, well, I think you know, I'm being asked to get into sales, or I, you know, I'm not so sure it's a good fit. And I said, you know, it's not. Again, sales gets such a bad name. And it doesn't need to. You're you're going in, you're solving problems, and you're listening, ideally. <laughs> That's always a challenge for me. If you want to succeed. <laughs> yeah. So so when did you join ProSensus and why? Well, I my career took an interesting turn. I wanted to get into something more high tech. 
I have just an innate curious curiosity for technology and processes and all these different things. And I went into, I was in sales and I, but I got an opportunity at Lucent Technologies where we built the fiber optic lasers that power the backbone of the internet. Lucent Technologies invented this stuff and I, and I wanted to keep growing and, and, I, and I, I wanted to grow my technology knowledge. I wanted to grow my sales knowledge and my career continued and continued and continued. And I've been in high tech ever since. I was running a manufacturing company for a while. We did some amazing things there, turned a company from no one to someone who was really awesome. But I always had this need to be creating and learning and growing and improving. And warehouse technology is that same technology interests that I have where I can learn something new, improve processes and help folks improve the value and, and, the, and their, the things that are going on with their company so that they can really succeed. And by the way, I can make some money doing it. And, right. you know, I got to take care of my private corporation for which my wife is the CEO. I'm only the vice president. <laughs> got to take care of our future. So that's why I'm here. And I'm, and it's just been, there's no turning back. There's no looking back. I just love what I do. So what do what you guys do over at ProCensus? So we help folks to improve their warehouse operations. In short, I create warehouse superheroes, which means I empower and we empower the workers and the companies to be able to be more, do more, and accomplish more with the staff that they have. Okay. We right. improve the process. That is the bottom line. Yeah. Well, this is, this is, <laughs> that's why we're talking to you about this topic. So th there is a, there is a crisis in the warehouses right now. I mean, it was sure bad. It, it was bad, bad pre COVID. Well, let me, I'll just throw this out there. When we were prepping, I said this. 30 years ago, if you were working in warehousing, people would go, well, why? What happened? You know what? You, 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 you didn't right. figure out what you want to do with your career, and you ended up working at a warehouse. And that's all changed. <laughs> now warehouses <laughs> are are these high-tech locations that, you know, increasingly increasingly tech-centric. I mean, we're, you, you look at the best ones, it looks like ro robo-workers wandering around with all the, the mm -hmm. tech equipment on. And But that is not the average. That is not... No. So the, the crisis, <laughs> the crisis is real, and it got worse during the pandemic. And so talk about some of those. We talked about... We talked about four or five of them. So please, what's the first big problem to this this crisis? Describe some of it for us. <laughs> well, I want to outline really the state of that market is, you know, you, you describe the top level of automation and those are out there and they're important right. and they will continue to grow. But the level of technology and the le level of improvements that have happened across the warehouse market and to a lesser extent, you know, everyone who has a warehouse, manufacturing companies, everything all the way down to lifestyle businesses that are still being run on paper and every level in between. But every single one of those companies that are healthy and thriving, they're experiences, tr experiencing this tremendous growth. And yep. the crisis arises from, and, and all the industrial engineers have got to be happy and say, and we knew this a long time ago, we have to get better at what we do. We, we're we faced with challenges we never really conceived of 10 or 15 years ago. How are we going to improve our company such that we can meet this demand and continue right. to thrive? And so, you know, we talked about a lot of things. And, you know, the, the easiest one and the one that everybody intuitively understands is speed. Right. Okay. So, you know, we have companies that are picking tens of thousands of orders a day across a very large workforce, you know, in any given warehouse distribution center with multiple locations across the country. 
And and as e-commerce grows, the the order quantity is going from what used to be primarily shiploads and pallets and that sort of thing. Right. It's pushing smaller and smaller, smaller to one piece. Right. Of course, that brings up other discussions about efficiency and sustainability, but that's the reality. And that increases right. the workload dramatically. Right. So and they need usually, to become faster. Yeah. And usually, like, if you get an order, like an e-commerce order by two or three, that has to ship that day, right? It has to ship that day. And and if, and if so the traditional way, I'll just, I know there's a million different ways to do this, but used to ship LTL and truckload. And from what mm-hmm. I understand, retail locations, they, they're demanding, but not as demanding as they're not going to order yes. it to a PM and expect it to go out the same day because it's a pallet, yes. right? Or multiple pallets. So, so you had a lot more planning. And I think, you, you know, when you had the, if you were shipping stuff to retail locations or to a, a factory that you were supporting, it was like, hey, you got those orders a month ago. <laughs> yes. And, mm-hmm. and then you got a chance to make it or, you know, assemble it or whatever you're doing, put it in boxes, put it on pallets, ship it. <laughs> Now all of a sudden it's boom, 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 boom. Like you got you got thousands of orders that have to go out the same day you got them. It, that's an inc- it's incredible that they can do it, but it that's is. the bar, and and that's the bar. So if you say, well, we're not going to do it that way. We'll do we'll ship stuff out if we get it on Monday and we make sure it gets out by Wednesday. Well, mm-hmm. good luck, good luck, because that's not what customers expect. That's not what your e-commerce brands expect. Well, with the consumers demanding immediacy. You know, we, we humans, we, we feel the need to have what we want when we want it. And even businesses getting in on the getting in on the idea. Right. I mean, there are business <laughs> models that are pure dropship. OK, and they split their orders between conventional blanket orders, purchase orders, uh, things with a lead time to to e-commerce. They do it for a reason, particularly things with consumables. It's becoming a greater demand. But what happens is when that expectation for lead time is so much shorter than the lead time for the actual products themselves. There's only one way to make up for it, and that's with massive amounts of inventory. There's no magic to it. You just have to stock more and honestly have a crystal ball to be able to predict the future. Good luck. Yeah. So the first big problem these companies are facing is the need for speed. They got to get faster. They and, and again, the bar is high and it's getting higher. And that and that that goes directly to the second challenge that you told me when we were prepping is the labor shortage. Absolutely. You have a hard time getting anybody to go in and do these jobs. So what's the what's the problem with that? Talk talk, talk a little bit about the, the challenge with labor. I know I know that's a big one. It's huge. Well, again, just like the rest of supply chain and warehousing distribution, e-commerce, it's in the news every day nowadays. But it's it's truly become a and there are a lot of reasons that you know why it's happened. We all are aware with a lot of them are, but it's truly become a seller's market for employees. They have a lot of options. Now, when we talk about warehouses, one of the things they don't have the option of is remote work. Okay. It always bothers me a little when people say, well, everybody should be working remote. (laughs) Well, I've had a lot of blue collared workers working for me, folks, and they're not going to be working from home. That's really where where the magic happens is they're in those warehouses getting out the door, but it's become a reality. And so, it's because it's a seller's market, because they have a lot of options, because there are millions of square footage, millions of square feet of new warehouses going up in clusters across the world. These folks have options to go from this warehouse distribution co- company to this one right here down the street. Some of them might have right. two jobs. 
two part-time right. jobs. Some of them might, might work a first shift and a second shift. God bless them. They're hardworking people, but they have options. So yeah. we think we have options in hybrid and remote work. They have options of where they can go. Yeah. And, and just getting them to do the work and be, and be the best workers right. is really where the problem comes in. Well, and I think one of the challenges we also have here is it's not easy work, right? So if you no. say, yeah, hey, you know, Chuck, I, I can just speak for myself. If I had right now the choice, and I've said this a few times in my podcast, every time I have warehousing people on, say, if you gave me the choice of, hey, I'm going to go work in a, a, a low-tech warehouse down the street, and mm-hmm. you'll be walking around, you're going to walk 10 miles a day, you're going to be lifting stuff all day, or you can go do DoorDash or Lyft. I'd be like, mm, you know what? I can drive around, listen to my own music, drink my pop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Life is good. I am yep. not going to some dingy warehouse. No, mm-hmm. thank you, right? And I think also, you know, w- this country is increasingly wealthy. Not Absolutely. everybody. Not So if you had a son or daughter who was like, well, I think I'm going to go work in a warehouse. You're like, well, make sure you're working in one where you're going to learn something, where you're actually part of the supply chain. Don't go work in that dingy yep. one where uh, you're not going anywhere, right? Well, the, condi- the conditions in a warehouse, you're, on, you're walking the 10 miles a day on a concrete floor all day long, okay? In the summer, depending on the location, it's hot. Some places it's hot all year round. Some places it's cold all year round. When they open those bays, whew, you better have your coat on. Some of them are cold refrigerated warehouses. There's increase in grocery delivery and that sort of thing. And and heck, vaccines. Those are cold warehouses. They're not comfortable. Oh, my, They're my, not my, working conditions. My daughter works in procurement and at one of the vaccine companies. And she said she kept getting dragged into the uh, warehouse, which is refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That she, uh, like her sister and her mom, have been cold their entire life. Never <laughs> yeah. had a warm minute of her life and to be dragged through that cold warehouse for long shifts. She goes, and they kept calling her our best warehousing worker. And she's like, I'm complimented. And I think it's I'm being manipulated at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being tricked. <laughs> Well, you always got to be complimenting and taking care of your people. So I'm, I'm certain there's a good part of that. Yeah. So anyway, number one, the need for speed. Number two is is labor shortage. That is going no to be a problem. And we have to, Chuck, we, we, we could talk about this one all day, but this is my feeling. You either make that a really attractive job or mm-hmm. plan on always struggling with labor. That's And there. how you make that attractive, we'll get into that in a minute. Part of it's going to be the way you treat them and all the rest, but another is going to be well, what kind of tech do you have? So what's the next, what's one, one of the other pieces of this crisis that we're experiencing? Well, one thing with the labor shortage, when you have new employees coming on board, uh, you need to make them as productive as possible, as quickly as possible. You need the flattest learning curve that you can have so that you have lightning fast onboarding. Right. It, it, it's, if it takes six months to bring somebody up to speed, it's too late. Okay, they've been a burden on your organization in some places. Sometimes they're counterproductive. Right. Yeah, and sometimes they have contingent workforces. I know I had a sure. guy on my podcast here talking about you can go on an app on your phone and get a job working in a warehouse. And he had worked at six warehouses across the country. He's a he's a one guy like you. He's a warehouse tech guy, and he worked in six warehouses in three months. And he says, I just there's, I have an app on my phone. And he said, there's a lot of people who jump in and work, you know, kind of overflow, and so so to your point, 
if you got that kind of workforce, how do you make sure that they are up and running and being effective and being efficient day one? Day one, day one. And and it's easy to do. It, it, the technology is such that it, that that can be done pretty quickly. It's easy to do if you have the tech, but that's not the, that's not every experience. So that's there's a lot of other experience. people are saying, hey, Chuck, you follow Joe and do what Joe does. And then I was like, oh, another new guy. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and you're learning on the job. Good luck, right? There's if 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 it's not run right, and again you, you're you're talking to probably the one percent or the two percent who want to be the very best. Mm-hmm. If you're working in one of those old school warehouses that says, "Hey, we're using paper cap, we're using paper and Excel spreadsheets to manage this," uh, well, they don't. are not going to get up. They are not going to be effective and efficient day one. Well, it's 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 even more than that. You know, one of the ways that they've been able to you know the to attract employees is through incentive compensation compensation and so as the volume of you know transactions increases there is you know salary plus incentive compensation based on productivity and volume and some of the best workers can add 50 percent to their income you know they go in at 15 dollars an hour and they can leave with 22 23 an hour for the very best workers in a high volume shop that's running very very well well if you are one of those gig workers, or if you're someone said, Hey, my company's hiring, we're paying really well. And you walk into some place that's old and dingy and dark and on old tech processes, and I can't achieve that incentive pay. Well, right. I'm probably going to be able to go to another shop down the street and they're going to take me tomorrow. So that just creates right. even more problems for those warehouses and, and exacerbates the crisis. Right. And you know, it's interesting. We, we all hear about Amazon. They're in the news, right? Sure. Everything they do. So they have these massive warehousing facilities. And I know there was some, some complaints about the job and how difficult it is. And they, they're trying to put time limits on it and, you know, ba- mm-hmm. bathroom breaks and bathroom breaks are measured and all these other things. And I think part of that is how do I run this efficiently? How do I make sure I'm effective? Another piece, though, is if 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 I start to feel like ah, this isn't, this is not. I'm not a robot. I don't want to be treated mm-hmm. like one. That so there's there's a, a trade off on on some of that, right? And I'll throw another thing in there is that they're they've benefits, nice benefits, and then they're now mm-hmm. they're educating people. So if I go to where and not necessarily educated to stay in their warehouse, but educated to be a nurse if I want, they're giving away degrees there. So so the bar is high. And I think there's, you know, if you're Amazon and you say we have an enormous resources and a lot of money, <laughs> you can do something. How does the little guy who's, you know, again, coming from uh, the old school to the new school, how does he compete? I mean, that that's a challenge. Interestingly enough, I think that they can learn from the part of Amazon that the general public doesn't really hear about. And that is that continuous improvement mindset. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called The Leader's Handbook by Peter Schultes that I just love. And he's got an amazing part in there is the theory of carrots and sticks. It's the old image that you have a donkey with a carrot tied off in front of him for him to follow. And somebody behind going to whack him on the butt if he doesn't follow the carrot fast enough. There's one great big problem with that theory. It assumes there's a jackass in the middle. People are (laughs) smart. Okay. You can't just whip them into shape. So what does Amazon do? What do folks in the in the continuous improvement mindset and the systems improvement worlds do well what they do is they take a systems approach yes we need to work faster better you know harder more 
but they design the system from the bottom up so that it sets up the processes and the people right. to achieve the most amount by design right. so that we can decrease the need to do that while still providing the incentives for retention and to have a wonderful workplace where people want to stay right. and thrive. Right. And if you can feel like that faster, better, you know, they used to say faster, like faster, better, cheaper, right? Faster, better, mm -hmm. less expensive. But if you can say faster, better, smarter, you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm faster and better because we're working smarter because I've maybe got the right tools. I've got the right tech. Life is good. But that's mm -hmm. not where we're at right now with this crisis. And again, need for speed. We have part of the need for speed is the customer expectation so high. The labor shortage is just, that's very acute right now. And it's interesting, during the pandemic, I was talking to some warehousing companies that were got to the place where they said, we raised rates for starting workers two times within a few months, hired two new recruiters, and then they started saying, hey, you know, we know you quit here, or, mm -hmm. or you can't work your 40 hours because your kid's at home or whatever. How about you come in on the weekend? How about you work mm -hmm. 16 hours over the weekend? How about you work, oh, your, your husband works night shift and you can only work day shift now? Yeah, come in. And they started being very flexible about the work hours and also very flexible about the number of hours. So there's the labor shortage is really acute. You also mentioned the onboarding. You have to be able to bring with this with this problem, you gotta be able to bring people on quickly. Otherwise, you're gonna first off you're gonna have errors, you're gonna have problems, you're gonna have people quit. If you don't onboard them properly, quickly, you're gonna have problems. So what's another challenge? What's another piece of this crisis? Well, one of the things that they face is a is an accuracy problem. Honestly, depending oh, on where yes. how they run the warehouse. So, and if you think about it, if you've got a one piece e commerce order, and someone picks the purple shirt instead of the blue shirt. And you're expecting to wear purple because it matches your outfit for whatever you're doing this weekend. You're going to be a pretty unhappy customer. And by the yep. way, it's going to add to the company's it's going to add to the company's cost because you're going to return it. It's going to you know raise it add to shipping costs for bidirectional. Plus, they're going to have to exercise the organization a second time to ship out the blue shirt. Right. So what do they do? They put in quality assurance organizations. Okay. And I have customers who have told me that between 5 and 10% of their picks, depending on how the processes in the warehouse operate, are incorrect. Right. And the quality organization, which costs labor hours, they set the product aside. So it's not just about catching them. Now those products have to go into a triage and they have to go into a put-away operation, which takes even more. So right. one, accuracy is a huge impact on customer experience and customer loyalty. If you get a lot of that, forget it. Your reputation's shot. But two, there's an awful high cost to it. So that accuracy is everything. So walk, walk me through this. So if, let's just say I work in one of your, your let's assume I work in a high-tech location, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm working at one of your warehouses, Chuck, and I get this order and it says, hey, you need to pick this blue sweater. So where, how do I receive that? Do I receive that on my phone? So if you're working in a tech, yes. So what, what it'll typically do is the technology that you're using will say, well, the blue sweaters are located in this location. Okay. And I'm going to move to that location. So do I have a big list on my phone or is that, is that the way that works? Well, see, and that's the big change. So when you're working in a paper situation, 99 times out of 100, you have a big list. Okay. And you're working your way down the list with a pen and a check mark and a clipboard. 
but the accuracy becomes an intrinsic improvement when you have one. Okay. Okay. So, I, so it just says, Joe, go get the blue sweater, and it's located in aisle fourteen, yep. shelf ten. And I, I walk over there, and I mm-hmm. open a box, and there's all the blue sweaters, and I grab one, and uh, I walk back, and I take it to the pick area. Or I know, do do I scan it? Do I scan it when I get over there? You scan it at the time. It says I walk over there with with a material handling, what's oftentimes called a a handling unit or a bin or a cart, okay? And I say, I'm going to put this product for this order in this cart or this handling unit. And it's going to tell me where to go. It's going to tell me where to grab it. I'm going to verify that it's the right part, and I'm going to put it in the handling unit. All that happens in real time. The system knows where that part is. It's no longer in the shelf. It's in that cart. Yep. Do I scan the blue sweater or do I scan the the box the blue sweaters in you're going to scan the barcode and which is typically going to be on packaging or it could be on a bin in which that part is located because depending on the item might not be big enough for a barcode so i put it in my bin now i take it over to the pack area Mm -hmm. and and do i hand that off to somebody else typically typically that's going to go into a pack area where it's going to be queued okay and they're going to pack it and they're prepare shipping and it goes into the into the shipping queue where it goes out the door. Did they scan it one more time to say this this is the order and and make sure that did they check? Yes. Essentially what you're doing is you're tracking the product's movement throughout the entire facility. Okay. When it comes in, we know where it came in, we know who touched it in a technologically more advanced operation. Then we take it to a location and we know it's in that location. In the interim, we know it's on a, in a handling unit. Okay. So we know that it's not, it's somewhere in between. It's on cart 62. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to get at how like a, a, a pick, bad pick happens. So a bad pick would happen if I went and I was told to get a blue sweater, but I was being absent minded and I, I got a purple sweater instead in the box next to it. <laughs> and then I, I don't know if I could scan it. Maybe I scan the I, if I scan purple, it would say, "Hey, that's wrong." Correct. So, so the way I would have the if so if I'm using the technology properly, I uh, I would have a hard time making that a bad pick. You would, and if you aren't using the technology properly, it's easy. There's nothing stopping you from going to the wrong location. There's nothing stopping you from picking up the wrong piece. If I look left because the forklift comes by and is beeping at me. And I reach into the bin and I grab the blue one instead of the purple one. Okay. That's how mistakes happen. If I put it into the wrong cart and it goes to the wrong order, you know, or, you know, the wrong bin, it goes to the wrong order. That's how mistakes happen. Right. So what we have to do is we have to remove distractions and improve the focus of the employees. Right. So now do you, do you guys also have like a video record of, Hey, this shows uh, Bob is putting the, blue sweater that Joe picked, he's putting it in the box, he's putting whatever else goes in the box, you know, paperwork, and then closing that box. Is there a camera that verifies that? The reason I say that is because I know sometimes people are dishonest consumers mm-hmm. where they say, hey, I ordered I ordered that sweater and it came, or I ordered three sweaters, only two came. Mm-hmm. So they have video evidence now? So there are technologies that are assisting with in the quality process that utilize video, they're rare. It really is more of a, we design this system, we design the operation such that it's intrinsically accurate. 
So I know I'm the I know that the blue ones are coming in. I know where the blue ones are going. The blue ones are in this place because they're tracked all the way from door to shelf. And then they're tracked from shelf all the way back to door. And so by recording that with periodic scanning and making sure that I have the right product and then making that absolutely as fast as possible, we raise our uh, accuracy to 99% plus. The continuous improvement world likes to talk about Six Sigma, and that's a great right. ideal. But getting back to it, accuracy is a problem. That's part of this Huge crisis. Problem. And and the reason is because we're not using the right tech. So the, what I just yep. described is working at Chuck's facility. If I was mm-hmm. working in, in the wrong facility, though, I would be doing stuff with paper. Mm-hmm. It'd be it'd be potentially I, – I, and people do, are trying to do the right job, but it's a job that kind of – especially after I've walked 10 miles a day – Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's late in the day and I've been working all week, I can see where people make errors. In the heat or in the cold, it's it's crazy a lot of fatigue. Yeah, I, I, I say this kind of jokingly but not completely joking, is that that's also a job where I find like would be mind-numbing. I, and I mm-hmm. would be very tempted to be, <laughs> use substances to keep me enthused about my work, and that's mm-hmm. not going to make me more accurate. <laughs> so, well, I certainly <laughs> would provide free coffee to every employee. <laughs> Definitely be one of my supervision uh, benefits. So the crisis is we have a need for speed. The customer expectation is fast, fast, fast. And even if Mm -hmm. it's not e-commerce, it is still the bar is getting raised. We have a huge labor shortage. That's a problem. We have an accuracy problem. We just talked about it. With with technology, it's not as bad, but there is a huge accuracy problem. Mm Because, again, the, the, the bar is raised so high on this. And then you talk about onboarding and customer, getting getting people in that customer worker experience, getting them so they can get comfortable with the job very quickly because there is going to be turnover in this type of work. Mm-hmm. Another thing we talked about offline, you mentioned safety. Talk mm-hmm. about the problem. With, and again, I know that's part of this crisis. So, you know, with the distractions, you have a lot, an awful lot going on. With distractions, that's really when mistakes happen and something something can happen. You have forklifts moving, you have lift trucks, uh, you know, and you look at one of the large lift trucks, these employees have to strap in with safety harnesses when they're going, going high up there. So, and they're going, you know, 15, 20 feet even higher to do these things. So that environment can be hazardous. You can be what? in a cold storage environment. Wait, what do you mean? I got to get a harness. I, I've, I've, I've never seen anyone in these harnesses. So you mean that, like I get to the uh, a shelf way up high and I have to get <laughs> you take a harness to get up there? Well, it's built into the mover. It's built into the into the lift. So, you know, you if you oh, if you I've look seen at those. that, yeah. Yeah, oh, you yeah. get onto the you get onto the lift and they they strap in just to, you know, in, in case accidents happen. Well, those would never ha- those would never be necessary if people didn't get distracted, if people didn't make mistakes, if people didn't make a misstep. And right. imagine someone who has perfect capabilities to execute the job, but may not be quite as physically adept or agile as I am. Okay. So those things happen. And so you want to make sure that you take those precautions, but that happens because of distractions that happens because of those mistakes. And we want to keep them focused again. Again, if your work, if your job also involves walking around a facility all day, lifting boxes, and you said you could walk, walk up to 10 miles People are going to be tired. At the end of the week, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe 20 some, even 20 something would be tired after walking 10 miles and lifting stuff all sure. day. So if you get them to a place where you say, this is, uh, 
you know, maybe I'm working under pressure and walking a lot and uh, lifting, especially if you got to lift heavy stuff, I can see where this this would be just prone to all sorts of safety problems. I mean, first off, just you mentioned the forklifts and all the going high up, but I think also you're going to have repetitive use injuries. You're going to have, yeah. you know, I tried to lift this up. It, it was over my head and I fell on me or <laughs> I hurt my back or my shoulders. It's all going to happen. Well, as you go to higher volume, the things that you're going to have are you're going to have the possibility for repetitive strain use as well. This is where the industrial engineer comes back to me in spades. You know, we think about repetitive use uh, injuries as carpal tunnel syndrome. Okay. But, you know, you sleep wrong and you start to age and that rotator cuff starts to go, but you're required to be moving in and out and reaching into odd places on a regular basis and, and doing all these extra motions. And those are the types of things that folks need to take into account. Now, with technology, we don't necessarily, we the technology solutions that we offer and, and, and other things, we don't eliminate the reaching and that sort of thing, but we reduce it on a fine motor level where there are a lot fewer keystrokes and that sort right. of thing, which gets into more of the type of carpal tunnel injuries and that sort of thing. Because believe it or not, that's a, that, uh, that can really lead to some long-term uh, issues. So, so I know you say your your company, what you guys is, do, you create uh, warehousing superheroes, and that yes, is sir. you're solving, you're helping people be faster. You're helping, you're helping with accuracy. You're helping with safety. You're making this a better job so that labor says, "Hey, this is a job I want to work at." This <laughs> is, and again, I think there's a big difference between. Hey, this feels good. This is my first step into the supply chain world. Maybe I don't have my degree yet, but mm -hmm. I'm working in supply chain. I'm using all the tech. I feel pretty good about myself versus I work in a dingy, dark, crappy building and I mm -hmm. work in a 1975 job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so talk about, talk about what you guys do and how you solve some of the problems associated with this. What, what really is a crisis? Well, it starts with a, a really a hyper focus on the worker experience, the user experience themselves. We we look at what does the process that they're doing look like now and how can we remove unwanted steps okay, from the process, reduce the transaction length? How can we reduce key clicks? How can we eliminate repetitive data entry that's unnecessary? I, I've seen systems that have to that confirm which warehouse I'm in. Well, I know what warehouse I'm in. Why do I right. need to confirm that? And that's right. a pretty exaggerated example. Okay. But we can reduce that and reduce those data entry things. But it, it comes with a focus on how we do things, what works for our warehouse and our product flow. And then we start to improve it from there. How do we do that? Well, we do that by using mobile technology and hands-free technology, but we start with the software. Okay. Typically, there's a mobile user interface. If folks are making this leap from paper to technology, they don't want to be pushing laptops around on a cart. Okay. Oh, right. by the way, those are out there too. Okay. <laughs> the mobile technology has become affordable. My mom uses a mobile phone. A lot of the form factors look like a mobile phone now, but they are all computing resources. And we use that technology with the mobile interfaces that work with the leading warehouse management systems and ERP systems. And we want to make those better so we can eliminate all of that and speed that transaction. And then the other tools we use are hands-free and wearable hardware. There have been tremendous advancements in that. Before you leave the phone thing, so sure. if I worked in one of your facilities, would I be using my phone for this or something that is the company's phone for that is 
programmed for the job? Typically, it's a company asset. And there are a lot of reasons for that. You, you, you don't really want to be having people with their Gmail address on the phone and getting distracted by their email during that okay. day. You, you don't want people being tempted by Facebook and that sort of thing. They need to stay in the job both for liability, but also for safety reasons and also productivity reasons. Right. So it's typically a company asset. Right. So do they leave that at work and just say, hey, this, I'm just wondering how they manage that those mobile technology. They plug them all in at the end of the night at the same place and you check them out. How does that work? Yeah. So typically that's exactly what you do. You, you charge them. They are ruggedized devices that are meant to withstand drops to concrete from. You know, oh, I imagine they get dropped all day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not the old iPhone 2 that's going to shatter when it hits the ground. So they're designed to be rugged. And they're designed for multi-shift battery life. So they get they get checked in or they get they get put on a charger. And then you will typically take a device and you will log into the warehouse management system so you know which employee is doing which orders and that sort of thing. And you maintain some sort of traceability. And if you're on an incentive pay and you're working on some sort of productivity incentive, well, you need to know who's picking more. And that's exactly right. how you do it. The system tracks that sort of thing. You can tell what the volume movement is. So that's pretty slick. So you got mostly younger people working in these facilities. And, and mm -hmm. I'm thinking they're very comfortable with grabbing a phone and doing their job all day. And why wouldn't they be? Well, digital natives. Right. <laughs> digital natives. That's what, they're, that's what they're really interested in using. And those younger employees, if you can make that experience better and better, it approaches something called gamification. Right. Okay. And there are some technologies that actually will, you know, kind of make it a little, you know, a little gamification. Like, oh, can I beat myself yesterday? You know, beat what I did yesterday. And some employees are driven by that. Uh, some aren't. Well, that's why they're still supervisors and warehouse managers because right. they're different employees with different motives. Right. So, so you got this handheld thing, and so that's mm -hmm. uh, that's that that and that's going to drive my accuracy way up. It's going mm -hmm. to hopefully allow me to go much faster than that paper system or even the hand. So there is a uh, handheld scanners. Are those, what's the best practice? Is it handheld scanners or is it phones? I'm, I'm just curious what, where are we moving on that? So that's the cool thing is that the technology continues to evolve and improve. So the, the first, you know, you, you got barcode scanners and people are very familiar with that technology and they're all handheld. And then you have integrated devices that integrate the mobile computing and the barcode scanner into one. And those are still widely used nowadays. However, we find that in the ultimate, okay, in, in a higher level of this in technology investment, if you can go to a wearable solution where I can put the computing resource on my arm or in my pocket, and I can put the barcode scanner on the back of my hand, okay, I am now hands-free but I still have the displays and all the information available to me. And we take it even a step further. Nowadays, you can integrate voice technology with these interfaces for the warehouse management system, where I speak in a, in a casual language. A natural to language, this, yeah. yeah. and it speaks back to me, telling me, you know, proceed to such and such a location. Pick three pieces. Three pieces, got it. And I move on. I eliminate keystrokes. I eliminate unnecessary movement. I can increase my speed. I can make it a, a much easier system to understand and when I, to, to learn because it's literally guiding me for every transaction right. to some extent. And, and that's really where the technology is going to allow that yeah. full user interface. 
So you get back that speed right away from all this cool tech. And then you get the accuracy is built right into the technology, right? It's the accuracy is kind of enabled by the technology. So is the speed. Also, I think you've made the job easier. And I'm not going to say fun. It'd be fun the first day where you're like, look at me wearing all this tech. (laughs) But, But what you've done also is potentially let the facility make a lot more money. Where they mm-hmm. say, hey, "Look, we're we're able to process. What what would be the difference? Let's just say processing without technology versus technology. So the lowest of low tech versus the highest of high tech. Is it a thirty percent more accurate, more effective, more efficient? I, I don't know what's the right number. Well, the numbers vary. So if I have someone who's working on very very old tech, I will tell you, I worked for a guy who used to keep. It was a small business manufacturer, and when I started with the company, he used to keep all of the inventory in his head." And nice he did touch. a pretty good job <laughs> he died to his credit. And he's still my friend to this day. He did a pretty darn good job. But we grew the business. And he quickly realized that the number of piece parts increased and it became and the frequency of orders, all that had to change. So we improved it. So when you go from a system where something's in someone's head, you could be you could see numbers that are 75, 80% greater productivity. That's an extreme rarity. But if you're on paper, when you someone takes that enters the order, prints out the paper, takes it to someone else, gives it to the warehouse. They they take it, put it on a board, (laughs) clipboard, pen, paper, distractions. Oop, I made a mistake. No verification. You can easily achieve improvements of 50%. Easily. So so that gets back to these guys who are on, if you're on incentive pay, you can make Mm -hmm. a lot more because I have this technology. But even if you're not on incentive pay, the warehouse that you're working at is making more money because they have this technology. And so you could make more money, right? If the warehouse is, is really unaffect, not effective and not efficient, lots of accuracy problems, it's hard to go in and say, I'd like a raise because they aren't making any money. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've been in an operation where we did that. It was a very high pick volume in terms of a large bill of material for manufacturer. And the product would get lost and misplaced all the time. And it was all paper with a clipboard. And guess where they went? They went back to the warehouse and morale in the warehouse was terrible because it was always the warehouse guy's fault. Yes, they may have had a hand in it, but other workers will hoard product and put things in their drawer and, and misplace it out on the shop floor. And you don't have any good verification of that. So if it's always your fault and everyone's always coming to look at you, your morale's not that great either. That right. That's not a fun environment to work in either. Right. And I think what you also described, so, you know, we, when we talk about this 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 crisis, we talk about the need for speed. we got to all get faster. There's this humongous labor shortage. Accuracy is always a problem, especially with the old systems, right? Mm-hmm. Safety. I have mm-hmm. to be safe. I have to, which takes the distraction. Let me focus. Mm-hmm. And the worker experience has to. You got to be able to onboard people quickly. So mm-hmm. when I switch to this tech, I'm checking all those boxes and saying I'm going to be faster. I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. It's. I've created a better job. And also, as far as the onboarding goes, this technology is guiding me through the process. I don't have mm-hmm. to learn on the job. I don't have to. Hey, just walk. Follow Chuck. He knows what to do. He'll tell you what to do today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is not the most on the job is not the most effective training in this gig. Absolutely, and and so what it does is it makes the workers so much more effective. What does it do? I say it gives them superpowers, but it right. just it's about making that worker that much more effective. Again, also Chuck, you got kids. I got kids. If I had a son or daughter who said they were going to go work in one of these high tech 
facilities that you're describing, that mm -hmm. feels like a supply chain job. Over the summer, it that's does. a fantastic gig. That's it where does. I would like them to work. Now, conversely, go work in this dingy old factory, uh, this mm -hmm. old old um, old place. I would like them to do that just so it's college incentive work, but but that's not getting you real. That's not getting you the, what you want to do. If you're looking for a job, you want to work at a place that is investing in technology and taking care of these. Again, it's this is what we're getting to, Chuck. And I say this all the time on my podcast. When it comes to this business, we're getting to a place of haves and haves nots. The haves mm -hmm. have this cool tech, mm -hmm. making things happen, and the people who don't have it. They're, they're stumbling out of business. There's just no way you're going to be able to stay competitive. You know, interesting you bring that up. I'm actually mentoring an industrial engineering student at Lehigh University. And guess where he just did his internship this summer? In a cold storage warehouse in the Allentown area. Okay. And he go. has a very high-priced engineering degree he's trying to achieve. And he was thrilled to be there. And in fact, He's, they've have him working one day a week during the school year because Fantastic. it's really become such an incredible, incredible industry in which to find oneself for your career. Right, right. So, Chuck, final thoughts on this bad boy and we'll wrap this up. Okay. So the technology, you know, it's about, in this case, it's about focus on the user experience, focus on really the process. There's a lot of guys out there who do what I do and they focus on selling part numbers. Okay. We really are focused on the user experience and how do we make them better. But I re think really the, the thought I want to leave folks with is that the technology is not scary. If my mom is used to using this phone and the increasing number right. of new workers are digital natives and everybody's right. carrying one in their back pocket, this technology is, as a, is not expensive. It's incredibly productive that delivers really fast ROI and it the the adoption rate is extraordinarily high and it allows companies to make incremental improvement. Would I love to be doing robotics? Yes. Should folks be using automated guided vehicles and autonomous mobile robot robots? Yes. As soon as possible. Okay. But in the interim, this you gives gotta, you, you walk with before incremental you run. improvement. That's right. <laughs> Give yourself permission to do this incremental improvement. Start realizing the benefits today, tomorrow, in a week or a month, not a year and a half. Right. And, and, you know, this whole, a lot of times when we're talking on this podcast, we're talking about transportation and logistics. And it's the same, it's the same thing. There's people who've adopted the technology, embraced it and said, we're going to run with this. And those are great places to work. They tend to be growing really rapidly. Sometimes mm -hmm. they have VC money, but sometimes not. Those are the places to work. Those are the companies you want to have as your logistics providers, your transportation providers. Same thing here. I just don't think there's any real option. You have to upgrade. And uh, if you don't, you're just going to be, you're going to be a laggard and no one's going to want to work there. And again, that's, that's, this speaks to this crisis that we're, we're, we're experiencing. Again, the, the bar just keeps getting higher and higher. And if you say, well, we're going to get really, we're going to do better with our Excel spreadsheets and better with our paper <laughs> copies. Good luck to you. <laughs> so. No longer is Microsoft Office something that's a, a new skill to put on your resume. It's becoming actually a little less important that depending on what you're doing. So It's interesting. I love Microsoft, Excel, all these are great things, but they are not what you should be using to manage your supply chain. So No, sir. So before we uh, go here, Chuck, tell us a little bit what's going on over at ProSensus. Well, we... It's amazing the you know the the pandemic has actually changed the way we do what we conduct our business. You know, if you're not innovating, you're likely dying. And 
so what we've done is out of necessity, we've created a, a, a one of a kind virtual demo. Okay. It, you know, how do you, how do you communicate this to people? And so what we do is we have this one of a kind demo that lets folks literally experience the technology and the benefits of the technology without laying hands on. They can see it in action. They can actually see what the user interface looks like. They can see how much time in our solution center, which is a mini warehouse, they can see how much time that they can save. And honestly, folks can realize what their improvements can be in as little as two weeks. We did a presentation for a massive multinational company with 10 people over three continents. That would have cost that company thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars and months of time to be able to get them to the point of understanding where they can start to say, okay, yes, maybe we want to do take a look at this. At, you know, We were considering this, but maybe we should take a look at it here. So how do we make that even better? Right. Well, that's all visual. We want people to actually experience it. So now we're doing the same thing and we're taking it on the road and we're taking it to a warehouse near you. So, see <laughs> <laughs> so if a truck or a van, how's that work? We have created a, uh, our, what we call our mobile solution center. It is a highly customized trailer that we pull with a truck or an RV, but it is, it is fully technology enabled. It's a mini warehouse with all the technology, including the ability to see the user interface, not only for the person who's doing it, but also for those guys or girls who are standing around them. And that way they can go and they can experience it. Technology is often thought of as stuff that is, you know, decided by the people up here, higher on the organizational chart. But when folks are used to this kind of form factor and this kind of technology in their back pocket, increasingly folks are discovering the benefits from people that they know or the internet or what they learn. And so we want to address and, and show the technology to everyone in the warehouse because some of the best ideas oftentimes come from the people who are actually right. living the job on a daily basis, oh, yeah. not just the people who come down with you know decisions from on high. Yeah, that you mentioned something that I should have mentioned earlier, but I'll mention it now. When I worked in automotive, I started working in the late 80s. And we, one of the things that we started recognizing really early was in, in, in my career, but it seems obvious now, but it wasn't then, that the people who knew these jobs best were doing them every day. So you would always have yes. an industrial engineer and a mechanical engineer get together and they'd, they'd have a, a, nice, <laughs> a, nice, uh, a nice picture of what the job is. And then you go over there and you watch the guy. He goes, oh, that, do that doesn't work. I'm doing it this way. <laughs> you go, yeah. oh, okay. And mm -hmm. if you don't treat those workers as if they have brains, they will act like they don't have brains. No one That's wants right. to be treated like that. And so you really do have to involve your workers in this in this job. You have to make, again, we're, we have to sell. We have to sell people on these jobs because, again, this is the crisis we have. This whole e-commerce thing we have is going to come slamming to a halt. Well, not it slamming is. to a halt, but it's certainly going to slow down if we can't do the fulfillment, if we can't do the business that is so important to e-commerce. Yes, sir. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll also put a link to uh, ProSense's website and anything else you give me. I'll put those in the show notes. And I really do appreciate you coming on time about this very important topic. Thank you so much, Joe. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to listen to you. It's an even bigger pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, thank all of you for listening. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.